When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Mike. Just wanted to give you a quick note before we start the episode. As you can tell, we talked to D2 director Sam Weissman, and uh, we ended up going super long. There was a certain point where I tried to cut it off and keep it a normal episode, and Sam said, let's keep going. So we had an epic conversation, ended up talking to him for an hour and 20 minutes total, and then maybe a little more after... Uh, off the air so it was quite the conversation what we're going to do is we're going to split it up into a few episodes so this is part one we will come back with part two and possibly part two and a half part three uh, later on but here is part one right now what's the one thing all great teams have in common great coaching try to suck up to me i'm gordon bombay the new hockey coach all right let's go come we're team usa gathered from all across America. And we're going to stick together. You know why? Because we are ducks, and ducks fly together. It's the Quack Attack Podcast. Hey, everybody. You lost it for yourself. I'm Mike. Tommy is on his way. He's at work. That's Kevin. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Quack Attack Podcast, the definitive Mighty Ducks Podcast. We did not want to wait for Tommy because we have a special guest, and we want to be... Um, Nice with his time. I, I froze up there. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we have on the line D2 director Sam Weissman. Sam, thanks for being here. My pleasure. So I enjoy the journey of uh, people that are more successful than me. So let's just... <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> so let's just start with uh, how you got into the whole directing game and Hollywood and all these TV shows that you've been directing or you did direct and that kind of stuff. Just what? where did it all start? Oh, wow. I don't know. Uh, I, start, I started as an actor and, uh, um, you know, I was struggling as an actor in New York after having gone to uh, grad school, getting an MFA in acting, did some regional theater. And in the back of my mind, I always uh, felt I was interested in directing because I had actually directed in grad school, directed theater. Hmm. And uh, so I ended up signing with an agent as an actor in New York who moved out to L.A. This is in the mid-70s, uh, mid to late 70s, uh, to open an office so i i uh literally borrowed uh a few thousand dollars from these guys who were in the mob <laughs> who i had known when i when i worked as a waiter and a bartender and they sort of subsidized me and i went out to la and I had a really good agent and i just started working as an actor right away and then also started directing in theater out there and um uh Gary David Goldberg, who created Family Ties, saw a play I directed. He had known me as an actor, and he saw this play, and he said, wow, you should really be directing television. And he sort of became, you know, kind of 
the energizer behind my directing career. And my first TV directing was uh, in the first season of Family Ties, and that just sort of started everything and ended up directing, you know, a couple hundred episodes of television and uh, some movies, produced movies. And, you know, that was kind of the way it went. So what were the stipulations on this loan from the mob? Did you have to send kickbacks or what was the deal? No, there was no stipulation, but actually it was really interesting because I'd known these guys and uh, they'd come into regularly to a restaurant I worked at and they uh, were really good tippers. And I used to go out with them and, and I, I directed, uh, excuse me, I acted in a, a checkoff play off off Broadway and they came to see it. And then afterwards we went out and we, they were like into talking about the play. And I, I was thinking like, so this is so ridiculous. These mob guys talking about checkoff, you know, and, <laughs> but, but they, uh, and then I started working as an actor and I didn't see him for a while, but when the opportunity came to go to LA and I, you know, was really penniless, I was on un- unemployment and, you know, making very little money in regional theater, you know, these guys had said to me, if you ever need anything, you got to call me. They gave me their private number. And so uh, they were fascinated with show business because they'd grown up in the same neighborhood as Steve McQueen. Mm-hmm. And they always thought Steve McQueen, you know, didn't deserve his success. That You know, they should have had it instead of him, you know, some ridiculous idea. And uh, anyway, so, you know, I went to see them and they operated out of an Italian social club in little Italy. I go in there. It was like a scene from a movie. And I said, Oh, I signed with this agent. And, and I said, they said, that's great. You know, and I said, well, I'm going to go out to LA, but I just don't have any money. And, and literally one of the guys pulled out a wad of bills that was like as big as, you know, his shoulder. <laughs> and he said, here, and he peeled off bills and said, here, don't forget us. So then, Years later, I tried to pay them back, and they weren't interested, you know. Um, but it was it was pretty funny because I, I took them out to dinner once. One of them had died, so I took the other three out to dinner. And uh, we were at this really expensive steakhouse in New York, and I, uh, you know, everybody there knew them and everything. And they were slower, a little older now, and the check came, and I reached for the check, and the one main guy's gravity goes, no, 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 you're not paying for this. I said, yes, I am. And we're fighting over the check. And finally I said, do you know how much money I make each week directing an episode of family ties? And then he said, what? And then I told him, he goes, all right, you can pick up the check. (laughs) He released it, you know? So anyway, that was that. Did, Did you ever try to get any of them casted in anything? No, but it's interesting you say that because, um, I later tried to develop a film, a feature film that was based on kind of their relationship. And it actually got very close to, you know, getting in development at a studio, but it didn't happen. And it was basically the idea of, you know, the two of them are still remaining. The other two got killed or something and they come out to LA looking to make good on their kind of support. And they end up, you know, having all this wisdom that could help me direct the movie. But uh, anyway, it never happened. And Where, that was, you know, sort of one of the serendipitous things along the way that kind of, you know, happened to make your life, one's life possible. Were they on board with the feature film? 
like with the idea of it? Uh, at the point I tried to develop, I think they were all gone, gone already. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. They were they were a lot older, older than I was, so yeah. You are the first person we talked to who uh, has ever been involved with the mob. We have one guy, the camera director. He started got his start in porn, but I think the mob is more interesting. <laughs> so, who who was that? Camp? Who was that? Oh, who was? Uh, I can't remember his name, but Mark, he he might have been a Mark Mark, Irw- Mark Irwin. On yeah, YouTube. that sounds right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so let's. Well, he's uh, Canadian though. He, He's Canadian, though. I don't know what Canadian porn might be. <laughs> That's true. It might be a little different up there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's keep going here. So you're directing uh, Family Ties, other TV shows. How does the Mighty Ducks end up on your radar, or D2 end up on your radar? Well, I was doing a lot of different things. Uh, and I branched out from sitcoms into, you know, what we call single camera, you know, film shows, more film-like shows. And uh, um, what happened was uh, there was a writer, creator, producer, very talented guy who, among other things, created uh, 21 Jump Street. His name was uh, Patrick Hasberg. And uh, he sort of ventured out on his own. He had been involved, you know, with... uh, you know, other big deal writer producers. And then he goes out on his own and he had this pilot and I get hired to direct the pilot. And it was a two hour pilot for ABC. And on the heels of this pilot, he also had a couple other things percolating. So he had hired some young writers to be like sort of staff writers. It's kind of the lowest writer's guild position. And one of the guys, who he had kind of on staff when I was doing this pilot was Steve Brill. Uh, and I sort of had known Steve because he was in sex lives and videotape and he was sort of this, you know, guy kind of colorful character. I knew who he was, but he's trying to, you know, be a TV writer and Patrick's got him kind of in the staff position. And, uh, so in those days, this was before, just before Wayne Gretzky, uh, came from Edmonton to the Kings. Mm-hmm. And at that time, the LA Kings were this kind of, you know, black sheep franchise. You know, they were, they had the purple and gold uniforms. And the only people that ever went to the games were people who were hockey fans. And they basically drew like, you know, six, seven, eight thousand at the most a game, except for in like when Montreal came or the Blackhawks or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I would go to the games because I was a bit of a hockey fan, even though I'd never played hockey. Uh, and while I'm working on this pilot with Patrick Hasberg and I'm seeing Steve Brill a little bit during the day, you know, I go to a game and I bump into Steve Brill at the forum at a Kings game. And in those days, you could just walk, walk up and buy tickets for like, you know, eight, ten dollars and then move down, you know, like. There was nobody there. And uh, Brill says, oh, I didn't know you were a hockey fan. I said, well, you know, I, I like it. You know, I never played. And he said, oh, cool, cool. And we talk. And the next day, I go into the office. You know, we're prepping this pilot. And on my desk is a 
you know, a manila envelope from Brill. And he goes, oh, it was great running into you at the game last night. Thought you might want to give this a read. And I open it up and it's a, a film script. And it goes, it says The Mighty Ducks. So in the note, he said, I know you know Michael J. Fox. And maybe we could get him interested. So uh, I read the script. I think it's really a good script. And I uh, sent it to Fox. But, you know, Fox is like really busy, although he really liked the script. Uh, but had a lot of stuff going on. And in retrospect, it may have been around the time the Parkinson's thing first happened. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so uh, then I end up shortly after that producing and directing a very prestigious uh, series that was on called Brooklyn Bridge that won the Golden Globe and got all these Emmy nominations. And uh, Michael Fox comes in to actually direct an episode. And I end up talking to him about the Mighty Ducks coincidental to all this you know brill is pursuing his career and you know disney gets a writing sample from brill's agent which turns out to be the mighty ducks and unbeknownst to anybody you know disney wants to get in the hockey business (laughs) so they basically take the script off the market by buying it from brill or optioning it whatever they did because in the back of michael eiser's mind you know, he's thinking, well, if I get into hockey business, I also want to make a hockey movie. And this sort of all dovetailed together. And bingo, all of a sudden, you know, I read that, you know, Steve Brill has sold the script. I'm tied up doing the series. And my agent actually calls me. Oh, well, they're interested in you for this Mighty Ducks movie. But I was tied up doing Brooklyn Bridge because it's executive producer as well as directing a lot of them. And so they basically move on to Steve Herrick and he ends up doing the first one. And then when the second one comes along, the idea was that Brill was going to direct the second one, but I think Disney felt that maybe he wasn't ready. They needed a more experienced person and, and, and Brill was actually very happy you know, that they approached me about it. And uh, so I end up coming into the uh, second movie after Brill was already almost preparing it. Uh, But he was actually wonderful. And it was a, it was a great collaboration and we really, you know, worked together very closely on the movie. And I'm sure he would tell you that he learned a lot from you know, the collaboration. So it was all terrific. And that's basically how it happened. Do you, do you regret at all missing out on, on the first one? Well, if I'd done the first one, I probably wouldn't have wanted to do the second one. (laughs) And, and, you know, the landscape of the second one, I think was probably bigger. So it was, it was, it was a better experience for me as a first movie where Steve Herrick, already directed movies. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure it all worked out for the best, you know, how different do you uh, think it is? If Michael J. Fox is Gordon Bombay. 
I don't know. I think Emilio was, was great. And he was, he's a great guy. He's a friend. He was great to work with. And, you know, I don't know. He was great for the part. I mean, Michael maybe wasn't quite as mature as mature as Emilio at that time. So it probably, you know, was better for Emilio as a role. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. um, but obviously, you know, Michael, you know, had a lot on his plate, you know, <laughs> with the Parkinson's uh, diagnosis, which we, no one knew about it till much later, but I, it was really uh, probably around, uh, probably around the time. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't remember what your Doc Hollywood was, but it was Doc Hollywood where he first began to experience the symptoms. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, it's, anyway, it's, I guess uh, the question is, does, does Emilio regret doing the movie? <laughs> <laughs> he's not uh, just from like press clippings and stuff about his new movies. He's he's all about making movies that sort of quote unquote matter now. So. He's not very. Pr- I know he's well, not very proud of D two and, and making the deal to do the sequel. So, well, I think he had a good time doing the movie. I mean, we yeah. ended up became becoming good friends. It was really the third one that oh, okay. was uh, the problem for him uh, because he traded doing the third one for the ability to make this movie that he wrote and directed and starred in that Disney financed called. Uh, the war at home and uh, um, he agreed to do the third movie if they would finance this little movie which I think cost you know under four million dollars and it was actually a really good movie mm-hmm. uh, Kathy Bates was in it um, I think the young woman who was in Father of the Bride I'm blanking her name now um uh, Steve Martin, Olivia Williams, maybe. <laughs> no, no, yeah, Steve Martin, <laughs> yeah. But with Kathy Bates and Martin Sheen, and I think Olivia Williams was her name. I can't remember. Um, you know, and Sam, this is uh, Tommy. I got in in the middle of this. Sorry, work ran late. Uh, but it's a really good thing that Michael J. Fox didn't do the Mighty Ducks trilogy, because then people would be looking back and saying, "Wow, you know, Michael J. Fox was in." one really good trilogy, The Mighty Ducks, and really made Back to the Future trilogy look like crap. <laughs> so it's a really good move by him. A favorite yeah, of Christopher well, Lloyd, I think. Back, yeah, he did Back to the Future 2 and 3 at the same time. So in, oh, wow. And Kimberly Williams, that was her name. It was in, uh, I think she was in Emilio's movie. But, mm-hmm. uh, he really only went to the, the floor uh, twice because they made two at the same time. Uh, and interestingly enough, you know, he wasn't the first original person cast uh, in in Back to the Future. They actually shot for six weeks with another actor. I think I'd read that somewhere. Who was the other actor? Eric Stoltz. Interesting. Well, trivia for yeah, us. Uh, they, well, uh, it's common knowledge. I mean... Uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, they they'd wanted uh, Michael initially, uh, but Gary Goldberg felt that it couldn't be worked out with family ties. And then when they felt it wasn't working 
in the right way with Eric Stoltz. I mean, for whatever reason, he's a really good actor. Um, they went back to Gary and said, we'll do anything. We'll work around you. Can you help us out? And so for a significant period of time, Michael was doing Family Ties and Back to the Future at the same time. It was very difficult time. So going yeah. back to D2 here. So first one comes out and I'm, I was a little young, so I don't remember it coming out, but I'm assuming it's a, it's a pretty big success right away. Um, what kind of uh, pressure was there on the sequel? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, there's always an expectation that sequels don't do as well. And, you know, in those days, you know, Disney as a studio, you know, had three different labels and they were making a lot of films. So the Walt Disney Pictures label was kind of the family label. And that was, you know, the umbrella that, the Ducks movies were made under, and then you had Hollywood Pictures and Touchstone. And, um, you know, the films at that time, this is, you know, the pre-huge visual effects era. So the type of movies they were making that were like, you know, Mighty Ducks, the first one, and the second one, they were not big budget movies. Uh, and the home video market was so, you know, vital that you know, there was so very little risk in making these sorts of movies at that time. So it was really a question of not if they made money, but how much money they would make. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because because basically, if you had a wide release of a movie that was a family movie like the Ducks movies, and you spent a certain amount of money marketing it, which they did, there was no way they were going to lose money. It was impossible. Hmm. So, you know, those days are gone. <laughs> yeah because the whole the home the home video market obviously disappeared in the way that it was before so yeah. um i i didn't feel there was a tremendous amount of pressure okay. uh you know the pressure i felt was pressure on myself because i'd never done it before mm -hmm. you know and and obviously working with a whole bunch of kids and shooting on ice you know <laughs> you know how many how many problems do you want to take on for your first movie with <laughs> but it would have been much better to do a movie with a couple of people in rooms talking, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, it, how, was, it, it was a handful. So how did D2 look from like the first time you saw it versus what actually showed up on the screen in terms of the script and kind of the story line? You mean the first time I saw the assembly of the movie after it was shot? Or just the first time you saw the script and it first got involved to when it was actually done there? Well, when I got involved, you know, it was basically a real last-minute thing. They were already up and prepping the movie with Steve Brill as the director. Uh, and then, for whatever reasons, corporately, you know, the transition, they decided they want to make a transition. So they were considering other people and I ended up being the guy and basically, you know, the last step in that was my sitting down with Emilio to make sure he was comfortable. And so I went off and had lunch with him and everyone was terrified because everyone wanted to move, move forward. And he and I just hit it off really well. We ended up having like a three hour lunch and nobody knew what was going on until finally at the end of the lunch, it was like four o'clock and I went, whoa, everybody must be wondering where I am. 
so I called, you know, the production officer, the producers, whatever, and they said, where have you been? I said, oh, we just walked out of having lunch. And they said, well, how did it go? And, and Emilio said, he took the phone from me. He said, it's great, you know, whatever. So literally the next morning I was on a plane to Minneapolis. <laughs> wow. The, the literally, literally the next morning <laughs> to, lo- to, lo- to location scout. What was your initial uh, w- thoughts on the D2 script? Well, it evolved a lot. You know, I mean, as opposed to the first one, which was kind of this little, you know, uh, movie that had a lot of texture and, you know, character to it, you know, and it was basically centered around Emilio, you know, being this guy that had to do it, you know, because of rehab or whatever. Um, uh, the second one was very much geared towards the corporate needs of the Disney company, mm-hmm. which was, you know, the fact that they were, uh, going to get into the hockey business. So it was much more movie that was, you know, developed with a whole bunch of people having opinions. So by the time I came in, it was having to manage, you know, that. And as a first time director, you don't really have a lot of power until the first day of shooting. <laughs> and then basically they, their big worry is, you know, something can go wrong and they have to replace the director, which, you know, it didn't happen. But, you know, once the movie was up and running, you know, Steve Brill and I and the producer, Jordan Kerner, uh, you know, we were able to kind of, you know, shape it a little more. So when did you... And there, there was, there, there were a tremendous amount of rewrites done during the prep period. So, did anything get cut that like you were particularly fond of? Uh, oh God, I I can't remember. I mean, it was so long ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all I can tell you is the script was like a thousand pages long. I mean, it was <laughs> it bordered on it being irresponsible, uh, and and there was a lot of cheating on the margins which the studio didn't seem to catch, you know, you know, catch because we were trying to constantly put stuff in that we thought was necessary or might work or whatever. And we were trying to service all these new characters, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, um, basically the, you know, the intention was to, and my part was to make the movie as fun as possible, but also, you know, try to make it a little more legitimate from a hockey point of view, because I, I really didn't think the hockey on the first movie, I didn't think they had enough resources to do the hockey in the right way. Yeah. Fair. And in the se- second movie, we had a, a bit more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when did you just start to realize you had some gold going with Team Iceland and Wolf Stanson and, and Gunnar Stahl there and um, was there any indication that they would sort of become sort of uh, cult classics themselves? No, not really. <laughs> not really. Uh, you know, it was really all we could do to just get the work done. You know, it was <laughs> make, making a movie is very difficult. You know, and we shot, uh, you know, in the main shooting part of the movie, we shot, you know, 28 days on the ice. Had a you know a second unit that was shooting with us and you know a second unit director and 
it, it was a lot. I mean, there was just a lot going on. And, um, and then fortunately on the last day of shooting of the movie, this is actually an interesting story that I'm sure you don't know. Oh, so the last, the last day of shooting, everyone's, you know, trying to get out and say goodbye. And, uh, a production assistant, uh, was returning a rental car and, uh, the production assistant apparently also was in charge of taking the film that day to the lab because the camera department was trying to wrap out all the camera package, you know, and they take all the camera bodies and the lenses and everything, you know, and they have to return it to the rental house and everybody's rushing to try to, you know, get the movie wrapped. Well, whoever this production assistant was reversed the order of tasks and went to the rental car place and forgot to go to the lab. Mm. <laughs> so several rolls of film from the last day of shooting were lost. Wow. Just and completely lost? Completely lost. No one knows where they went. That's Obviously amazing. Some, some guy in some rental car company said, oh, wow, dude, here's like, you know, six cans of film or whatever it was. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't the whole day. It was a lot of the last day. And, uh, but it triggered an insurance claim. So after they work through the insurance, literally they bring all the ducks back. Wow. And we have to put up uh, a couple of sets to accomplish what was lost, but hidden in the, you know, transaction is, oh, we really needed to shoot some other shots, which we do anyway. <laughs> so it sort of became a major shoot that involved not just the insurance claim, but a whole bunch of stuff that was surrounding the benches in the, uh, ice in the final game, the Iceland game, the bench. Uh, benches at, uh, you know, the, the pond at Anaheim. Mm -hmm. So it became a major deal, but it was really triggered by this long lost production assistant who lost the film, you know, so it was actually pretty interesting. But we had to try to make sure that the kids all looked the same because this was like, you know, several weeks later. Yeah. You know. So no one had like shaved their head long. or anything? I really don't remember, but <laughs> at, some, at a certain point we had to we had to fake people skating by the bench. You know, it's like I can't remember how we did it. Where we did the rollerblades because we didn't see their feet. Because in order to make it seem like you know it wasn't like just shooting into a bench, there was like motion, you know, going in front of the benches. You know, it was a, ended up being a pretty elaborate shoot. I got to tell you. And so does uh, uh, this production assistant does uh did they ever work in the business again? No, I think I I called my friends uh in the mob in New York they took care of it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Took care of that. No, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. All right, that is the end of part 1. Stay tuned for part 2 next week. We'll just get right into it. We'll start with the part of the D2 filmmaking process where sam wanted to kill himself and he quote was serious about it so 
stay tuned for that. For us, thequackadec.com, go there, contact us at quackadecpod on Twitter, facebook.com slash quackadecpod. Go to iTunes, give us five stars and a review. That really helps a lot. It really helps us drive up the charts. It's not for uh, our egos or anything like that. It just uh, helps get the pot out there. So if you want to do your part, just go give us a review. It takes like five seconds. It doesn't really matter what you say as long as it's five stars, baby. And uh, go to the shop. Get your gear there. Keep clicking through that Amazon link for all your Amazon needs. I'll post it in the show notes again here. And uh, we'll also have the purchase of the week. There's a couple of good books that somebody bought uh, this last week. So we'll we'll have that up there for you in case you want to have the, the Quack Attack Quackalite Reading Club or something like that. Or book club, I guess. And remember, ducks fly together. Ducks fly together. Quack, quack. Yeah.